for five years, once a quarter, I was in and out of a certain country for two weeks at the time. And someone that became a very dear friend of our family and still is a friend of our family was going through an extremely difficult and challenging time. They'd served as a missionary in the Congo and their son, just as a little small toddler, just a munchkin like you'd see in our Timber Ridge, got a fever back up in the middle of the jungle. They weren't and did not have the resources to get out of the region that they were in like they could have gotten out today. And by the time they could be evacuated out of there, the fever had damaged their son's brain. Brian would have deep emotional and mental problems for the rest of his life. There were times when I would watch his father just weep and cry. There were times that Brian could be absolutely wonderful, one of the most delightful people to be around. And then there were times where Brian would just have to be physically restrained. Like many people who have brain damage, his body became exceptionally strong. His father was a godly man, a great man, loved wherever he went. Time after time, I can remember conversations we had where he would say it was his fault. It was his fault. He should have never gone to the Congo. And one night, after he had gone to bed, his wife and I were sitting up late, talking, having a cup of coffee, and she shared with me how that he blames himself, but he's not to blame. We were where God told us to be. We both know that. She said it paid a price. We paid a price for that. And we live with that. But it's not his fault. It wasn't Brian's fault. I don't know if you've ever had your world to fall apart. I don't know if you've ever had everything just collapse underneath you. Everything that you thought was solid. And you wake up one day and a spouse is gone. Or you wake up and you're healthy and you get a diagnosis from your doctor that changes everything in your life. Or maybe it's a fire like the campfire in California that just sweeps through and destroys people's lives and families. I was reading this week about a 90-year-old Assemblies of God pastor that was evacuated out of that fire. His children rushed in to get him out of that fire. And on their way of getting him out of the fire, their car caught on fire and they had to flee their car. And because their 90-year-old dad couldn't run, the they first passing car offered to take him. But that was all they could take. And so they kept running until finally they were picked up by somebody and they made it out of the fire. Sometimes God lets you go through the fire. Sometimes God takes you through those difficult places. Sometimes God lets you go through the flood. 
I was on the phone with my cousin last year when a hurricane that was just supposed to be a yawner came up out of the Gulf and overnight intensified to one of the deadliest hurricanes to hit our nation. As we were on the phone and trees were falling around his home, we prayed together and I remember Scotty who had been such a hero to me growing up, defender for me and champion for me. I always loved Jesus. Always loved Jesus. He said, God's going to bring us through this, guys. God's going to bring it. That's how you talk in the South, cuz. And just hearing that cuz, I knew Scotty was going to be okay. Called another friend of mine, Mark Kelsky, Secretary Treasurer in the West Florida District, and Mark was saying, pray, Dennis, pray. He said, I've just watched our central heat and air unit be picked up. He said, every tree in my yard is gone. My neighbor's houses have been blown apart. And later he called me back during the eye of the hurricane. And he said, we literally had to hold the door shut. And their entire city was devastated and wiped out. We prayed. We gave as a congregation. Church that had dedicated their brand new facilities one Sunday before. The next Sunday, it was all gone everything they had sacrificed and worked for. Sometimes your world falls apart. And there are some of you in this congregation, I know I've, I've walked with you through those times. We've walked together as a congregation through those times. When horrible things take place and you, you are living witnesses, but you are also testimonies to the power and the sustaining grace of God. You can respond irrationally. You can get angry. You can just panic. You can give up. You can, if you're not careful, you can exaggerate. You can say it is so bad, you just want to take your life. It's so bad it will never get better and you, you give up. And I have preached the funerals of people. I've preached them here in this church of people who thought it would never get better and just give up on life. You can exaggerate that. Elijah almost did that one time. He says, God, I'm the only one left. <laughs> I'm the only one left. He wasn't the only one left. There was only 7,000 out of a nation left, but he wasn't the only one left. And if you're not careful, there are times where you can just become like Job's wife and you can just get downright resentful. And you can just say, curse God. Curse God. Die. Go ahead. If this is how God's going to treat you, curse God. And what I'd like to talk to you this morning is about what do you do when your world falls apart? Because if your world has not fallen apart, like some in our congregation have had their worlds to fall apart, there will come a time that you're going to face when it seems like everything is just what you won't understand. And if you're not careful, you can become resentful, you can become irrational, and you can exaggerate, or you can choose to have faith in God. There was an old radio preacher that I used to love to listen to when I was traveling and driving late at night. His name was R.W. Schombach. 
and you'd say you don't have any troubles you've got faith in God and he never meant that you didn't have trouble he just meant if you had God you had something bigger than all your troubles you had someone bigger than all your troubles so I'm gonna ask you if you would to stand with me this morning and I want to pray with you and pray for you and ask God to give us ears to hear with this morning and wisdom to apply this to our lives. Father, I thank you that through it all, Becky and I both have discovered you have been more than faithful. And I thank you that, Lord, I get to worship and pastor people the God that they have discovered, many in this room, through it all, God has been faithful. And I confess that there have been times, Lord, in the midst of the storm, I wasn't sure. I didn't know what to do, and Lord, I felt lost, but this one sustaining thought kept me. I knew that you were in control. And so this morning as we come to your word, I'm asking you in the precious and the holy name of Jesus, would you speak to our hearts? God, give us wisdom, give us strength, and give us courage, Lord, to live out what it means to be passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Now, Holy Spirit, I ask for that that can only happen, that unexplainable something that can only happen when you're present to work with us as we listen to your word today which in Jesus name I pray and everyone said amen God bless you you may be seated this morning well early on in life I discovered that none of us are exempt from adversity didn't you discover that None of us are exempt. The fact that you're a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that, that God has exempted you or exempted me from any of the troubles or trials that come in life. Matter of fact, sometimes I discover that God is an equal opportunity employer when it comes to trials in life. The same trials that our unbelieving neighbors have are the same trials that you and I face. The same issues that our unbelieving neighbors have are the same issues that you and I face at times. Now, we don't face some of the same environmental problems that other people in the world face where there's not enough food around us or there's not shelter for us. We're very blessed that we live in America. I was thinking as our missionary was sharing this morning about missions and how missionaries came to the United States in the very beginning and pastors came to the United States. It wasn't a perfect beginning, but it was a beginning like all of our beginnings. It was a beginning of faith and missionaries who preached and pastors who preached, who made a difference and people who practiced their faith, but there was adversity. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Isaiah 43 too, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up and the flames will not consume you. Would you look at that passage this morning and circle that phrase, I will be with you. And then if you will underline that phrase, you will not drown. And then underline that phrase, you will not be burned up and the flames will not consume you. 
It's not that we won't face the fiery furnace like the three Hebrew boys faced. They went into the furnace, but God was in the furnace with them and he delivered them. It's not that we may not face the lion's den. Daniel went into the lion's den, but God was with him in the lion's den and he shut the mouth of the lions. It's not that we don't face adversity. We face adversity, but we don't face it alone. We face it with the Lord Jesus Christ not only living inside of us as we looked at last week, but we face it knowing that if God be for us, who can be against us? And that's the promise to all believers. I followed the trial of Pastor Andrew Brunson in Turkey closely. We prayed for him many nights in our Saturday night prayer meetings and here on Sunday mornings. He was put simply in prison, not because of his faith, but to be used as political leverage. He was put in prison and people lied about him. And in prison, although people testified against him and lied against him, he stood up in the courtroom and says, my faith teaches me to forgive, so I forgive those who have testified against me. His wife followed up with a Facebook post and says, the Lord was absolutely glorified. He explained why he was there. He gave the gospel and he publicly forgave all those who came against him, forgiving as he had been forgiven. And he said in the courtroom, it is a privilege to suffer for the sake of Christ Jesus. Blessed am I as I suffer for him. When you face adversity with the confidence that God is before you, you may stay in prison for a couple of years more, but there will come a time where God will set you free. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? It would have been easy for Pastor Brunson to say, well, if this is how God is going to treat me, I'm going to quit. If I'm going to be lied against and maligned against and treated like this, and it took a while for his story to get the attention of the nation and to get the attention of the White House. And I will tell you this, there are a lot of things about President Trump's character I don't like, and there are a lot of things about President Trump's character I don't agree with. But there are a lot of things when it has come to pro-life and when it has come to making decisions to help Christians that are suffering in prison and when it comes to helping to be sure that Christians' rights are preserved, I appreciate what he's done for us as well as a president there. That is not an endorsement of his character or his lies or anything else that he has done. But I'm telling you, it's a far sight better than saying that the blood of our nation can continue to flow with our unborn children and that no one will take a stand for what's godly and righteous in America today. You say, Pastor, you don't normally get political. Something has happened inside of me as I have watched that every single presidential candidate for the Democrat, and this is not, I am not a Democrat or a Republican. I am an independent but when I watched every Democratic candidate stand up and say they supported abortion right up to the day of birth, and when I see them not backing up this, a stance for pro-life and backing up this governor of Virginia that says the baby can be born, and then the parents given time to decide, friends, that is barbaric, that is ungodly, that is unholy, that is not what this nation stands for, and we have to speak out against that. That is adversity-facing the weakest and the meekest among us. 
That is adversity facing the weakest and the meekest among us, and it is preying upon the minds of people who will later regret the decisions of destroying the life of a living human being. If you can't call it a human being, what are you going to call it? And that's one of the reasons that we call a 40 days of fasting and prayer every year here at this church. We don't fast and pray to try to manipulate God and to get something out of God. That's not what fasting and prayer is all about. But we fast and pray when someone dies. We fast and pray in the midst. You fast in response to a circumstance. You fast in response to a situation. Sometimes you fast as a sign of repentance. Sometimes you fast as a sign of sorrow. Sometimes you fast to identify with some, what someone else is going with. David says, when my friends were sick and ill, I fasted with them. I fasted for them. I prayed for them. You, you fast in response to something. And right now, our nation needs the prayers and the fasting and the humbling of ourselves of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ before him. And my prayer is that you will join us for the next 40 days, give up a meal a day or fast one day a week or give up something for the entirety of the fast that you will stand in the face of the Lord and you will seek him and say, God, these are days where we need you to move in America and we as a church need to repent of our calmness and we need to come before the Lord and get vigilant and diligent before Christ and say, God, we're tired of just being comfortable. We want to be white hot for Jesus Christ. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? But when you go through adversity, sometimes you just need to be honest and tell God how you feel. Be honest with God. He can handle your feelings. He can handle your grief. He can handle your pain. God can handle your anger, your frustration. God wants you to know he can handle anything that you bring his way. There's a difference, and I want you to listen carefully right now because it'd be easy to misunderstand what I'm saying. There is a difference between grumbling against God and going to God and saying, Lord, I am angry, I am hurt, I am frustrated, and telling God how you feel. It's one of the reasons that I love the Psalms so much. U2's David Bono said one time, he said, you know, the reason I love the Psalms so much and I read them all the time is because David is always shouting at God, why did this happen to me? But I like what Bono said next, but there's honesty in that. He said, I like the fact that how when Saul turned against David and tried to kill him with a spear and David is exiled and living in a cave and hiding in a cave, he cries out to God, why is that happening to me? He says, as much as I'm sure that David wished that it wasn't true, as much as I'm sure that David wished his circumstances weren't true, he didn't give up on God, but he simply told God how he felt about the situation. Dear ones, this morning, Morning. God can handle your feelings today. He can handle your anger, your frustrations, your pain. Listen to how Moses prayed. I never had reason to pray this way, but listen to how Moses prayed. Moses said to the Lord, why are you treating your servant so harshly? In other words, he's saying, God, why are you being so mean to me? Have you ever said that to God? I haven't, but have you ever said that? Why are you being so mean to me? I've said that to Becky sometime. You know, why are you being so mean to me? How 
have mercy on me. Look at this. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? You know what he's saying? God, I didn't do this. These are your people. I mean, that's how I pray about you sometime. I said, God, I didn't give birth to these people. I didn't bring, you brought them into the world, and I'm sure you pray for me. God, we didn't give birth to that pastor. You brought him into the world. Don't clap. <laughs> I'm sure there are times when we look at our children and say, oh, I wish I hadn't brought you into the world. It's like one dad said to me recently, he says, I told my son recently, I bought you in the world, I'll take you out of this world. I said, really? You told him? He says, yeah. He says, I said, did you go back later and apologize? Not yet. That's the reason I'm talking to you. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we get angry. We get frightened. He, he goes on and he says, why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? Have you ever felt like that, God? Where are the resources? You're looking at yourself as the resource rather than remembering who our source is. You're looking at yourself as the one that's supposed to provide. And, and I think this is probably something that men deal with more than women. I could be wrong. And if, if you want to, to write someone about that, write Pastor Rick about that after service. But I'm sure that men deal with this more because we feel the obligations of providing a home and feeding our families and ensuring our families and taking care of them. And sometimes when something's not going right, Becky will talk to me and I'll say, well, I'll do my best. She says, no, I don't want you to fix it. I want you to listen. And Moses knew that God was the source. I mean, God had already done the miracles and delivered them out of Israel. God had already parted the Red Sea. God had already done so many miracles, but Moses had had it up to here with these people. He goes on, he says, they keep whining. Don't you just love a whiny, honey? I mean, don't you just love it when people just want to whine? He said, they keep whining. <laughs> Give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. God, if this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Get it over with right now and do me a favor and spare me all this misery. You ever felt that way? Lord, just take me on to heaven right now. I'm ready to go. I mean, he is between a rock and a hard place. It looks, people are grumbling against him. The people are ready to rebel against him. The people are ready to get rid of him. And he's saying, God, I, I'm not here because I wanted to be here. And maybe you're in a situation this morning, you're not there because you chose to be there. Maybe you're in a situation, you're not there because you wanted to be there. You're there because God put you there. And if that's where God has put you, God has meant it for good in your life and not for evil in your life. And if you will hold on, God will pull you through this morning. God will pull you through. He will make you more than a conqueror. 
The wise thing about what Moses does here, though, is he's honest about his feelings. He's honest with God, and God can handle that. God loves it when you're honest with him, because when you're putting on your religious show, and when you're acting like everything is okay, and inside you're seething, God calls that being hypocritical. But when you come before the Lord, and you share with him how you feel, your feelings will not eat you alive. Your emotions will not eat you alive. You will not get an ulcer. You will not find yourself destroyed. As a matter of fact, if you will just go ahead and get it all out and dump it out all on God, I am sure that Moses felt a lot better and was better prepared to be a leader to the people of Israel once he had told God how he felt. And that's why the book of Psalms and all through the Old Testament, you find so many of these types of prayers. But Moses knew that God was not only the almighty God and the omnipotent God that could defeat Pharaoh, could part the Red Sea, could defeat their enemies. Moses knew that God was infinite in tender kindness and in love. So I would say to ourselves this morning, when your world is falling apart, remind yourself that God loves you this morning. And I think that rolls off our lips so easily sometimes we don't really catch what that really means. As a matter of fact, would you sing it with me right now? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Come on. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. For the Bible tells me so. And I'm going to tell you something. If you ever get too sophisticated to sing that, if you ever get too smart to sing that, if you ever think you're too mature to sing that, you don't understand what the love of God is all about. For he that cometh to God must believe and must be like a little child, simply trusting, simply believing God loves you. He will never, ever, ever give upon you. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? He loves you. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't get angry sometime. Matter of fact, I can remember when my kids would get angry at me sometime. When they were little. <laughs> I can remember, I would make decisions that they didn't like. And I could see them stomping their feet, getting mad. But I didn't expect them to see things the way I did. Number one, they didn't have the experience that I had. They weren't as smart as I was. They couldn't see down the road like I had been down the road already. They did not know life the way I knew life. And sometimes I would just simply have to say those words I swore before I was a daddy I would never say because I said so. You know, I have eaten those words so many times. I apologized to my daddy. I apologized to my mama for it. I said, I said I would never say those words. My daddy said to me, I said the same thing, you know. But I, there were times I just simply said to say, because I said so, I need you to trust me. I can remember one time telling Andrew, sit down. He looked at me. There was that look of defiance. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen that in a kid's eyes? That look of defiance. He sits down, but in his eyes, he's standing up and he wants me to know it, you know. He's staring at me and I said, son, right now you are mad 
mad at me, but one day you're going to see that I loved you and this was the right thing to do. And he says, well, right now it doesn't seem right. And isn't that how we feel sometimes when we're going through a trial or when our world is falling apart? God, you must not love me. You must not care about me because if you love me, this would not be happening to me. Well, none of us, none of us that I'm aware of have ever been through anything like Jeremiah the prophet had been through. There's a whole book that he wrote called Lamentations. How many of you have ever read the book of Lamentations before? It means to lament. Let me ask you this. How many of you enjoyed reading the book of Lamentations? Boy, we don't use that word. He just laments. The problems that he's going through, it's not his fault. His nation has been so sinful. Now, Now listen, this is important. His nation has been so sinful that God has to judge the nation. And sometimes when God judges the nation, even those that love the Lord, who have been faithful to God, they suffer along with the nation. What your neighbor does affects you. And what you do affects your neighbor. Let me say it again, because that is not something in our individualistic society we want to believe anymore. What your neighbor does affects you. What you do affects your neighbor. If that wasn't true, we wouldn't have child watches up in our neighborhoods for predator watches where you can go on the internet and see if there's a child predator that lives in your subdivision. We wouldn't have neighborhood watches because we understand what our neighbors do affect us. And so Jeremiah is suffering through no fault of his own, and he goes, let's start. He says, the thought of my suffering and homelessness, it is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. Now, what's he doing? He's saying, Lord, I will never forget. And there are things that you will go through, you will never forget them. Look at me. You will never forget them. The memory of them back a pain. The memory of them will bring back a hurt. The things that you've gone through, it's not that you forget them. You will heal from them. You will recover from them. But there are certain things that happen to us in life that because they're so painful, we never forget. There are certain places on my body that if Becky touches in the middle of the night, I instantly come awake because of the scars that are there from some of those surgeries I had when I was younger. It's just, I'm healed, I'm recovered, but when she touches those places that maybe strikes me at night in the sleep, it just brings me right away. They're that sensitive. You see, there are things that happen to us emotionally. There are things that happen to us relationally. There are things that happen to us financially. We were in a house one time after someone had died. There was every nut, there was every bolt, there was every screw, there was every jar. And I asked, why was there so much there like this? He said, my parents came through the Great Depression and though they became millionaires, they would never throw anything away because they were always afraid the Great Depression was going to happen again. Listen, you've got to remember this, that because you went through it once doesn't mean it's going to happen again. You heal from it, you recover from it, and then you pick up your head and you move on. Can somebody say amen? And the way you move on is by changing how you think. The Bible says, David, Jeremiah says, and yet I still dare to hope. What's he doing? He's changing how he thinks. And hope returns when we remember God loves us. 
The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend upon him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. And all the church said, amen. You see, he changed how he was looking at his circumstances because he knew eventually God would pull him through. And last night as we gathered here for our prayer service, we closed with this thought. You don't know that God is all you've got until God is all you've got. And that's what my friends in West Florida, and that's what this Assemblies of God pastor testified to that went through the fire in California. His home was lost, everything was gone, and yet he simply testified to his local newspaper. He said, I came to California long ago as a young man to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm thankful that through losing everything, I have one more opportunity to tell people about the love and the grace of God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He he did not take it as though I had lost my memories, I had lost everything. He gave God the glory for one more time to give witness to Jesus. Do you feel that way this morning? That in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your adversities, you can share Christ one, one more time? Lamentations, Jeremiah goes on once more and he says, no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. Say that. No one is abandoned by the Lord forever. Say it again. No one is abandoned by the Lord forever. Now here's what's tough. Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion because of the greatness of his unfailing love. For he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them to suffer. There is a late night comic who does a newscast kind of a just a commentary he was interviewed on fresh air on NPR and as I was listening to him they asked him about his faith and he said you know I'm not a Christian he said I grew up in church but he says one of my friends in church got sick with a disease as a child and died and nobody ever talked to us about why and I decided if you couldn't address the why then there was no use in serving God and then I look at the platform that this young man has and how many people listen to him Monday through Friday nights on television I listened as and I thought, what would have happened if somebody had taken time to talk to him? What happens when your role falls apart? Now, this child that he talked about, it wasn't because of that child's sin, but there are times like Jeremiah that it can be our sin that causes pain to come into our lives. You see, when we're unfaithful to our marriage vows, our sin will bring pain to our children, to our spouse. It will bring pain and shame to our parents, to the people who love us. I mean, let's be honest. 
because we live in such a sensual society and we're bombarded with sensual messages every day and we're bombarded with the, the attack upon marriage that really all that matters is our own individual pleasure. If something doesn't make you happy, get out of it. Happiness is not the goal in life. Holiness is the goal in life. Holiness is becoming like God. You see, what may look like uh, an innocent they owed you this and you steal something from your company or they didn't do me right and so you take something and when it's discovered, whatever you took, whatever you stole, it brings shame and can bring pain to your family through a prison sentence or a fine or, or the shame that your children have to deal with. Dad, why did you do that? The shame that happens when a grandpa and these aren't things that I'm just pulling out of the air. These are things I'm pulling out of the life that I've had as a pastor. When a grandpa's phone is picked up by a granddaughter and she sees the horrible images of pornography and rather than apologize and get down on his knees, he snatches his phone and screams at her, you had no business touching my phone and yelling at her and she's hurt even worse. It's the pain that sometimes happens in a family. As I walk with three generations of a family where sexual abuse had occurred because of one predator member in the family that nobody would deal with. Friends, I want you to hear me this morning. When your world is falling apart, you need to look to God and remember that he loves you and say that since God loves me, there's gotta be a way through this. There's gotta be somewhere I can plant my feet. There's gotta be something that I can hold on to because when your world is falling apart, God does not mean for you to fall apart and God does not mean for your family to fall apart and God does not mean for the church to fall apart God will hold us together when the world is falling apart if we put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ now think about that the next time you sing Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so. Because when you know God loves you, there is nothing hell can throw your way that can defeat you. What would have happened to that man if somebody had shared with him as a boy what to do? Fourthly, I would say, wait quietly upon the Lord. Wait quietly upon the Lord. Being quiet, that's hard to do, isn't it? I mean, after the service, I'm always kind of on a bit of a high, you know, I just love being here. One more chance, we're coming to church this morning, Becky and I prayed together, I said, Lord, thank you for one more chance to preach the gospel. I'll have lunch and I'm doing good and then all of a sudden, I just don't want to talk anymore. I don't want to be asked a question. Matter of fact, I pray, Lord, don't let anybody call me right now. <laughs> I just want to be quiet. Frankly, my family loves that. We watch a movie and I'll say, you know, and, hush, Dad, we know you've been there. Be quiet. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Dad, hush, we know you had coffee there. <laughs> it's hard. I was speaking to a group of pastors. And we were talking about learning to be quiet before the Lord. I shared with them about an experiment that our pastors here did at the church a number of years ago. One of our pastors asked, came and asked me, he says, how do you wait quietly before the Lord? He says, I have real difficulty with that. 
So on our Tuesday morning staff devotions, we talked about that. And so I suggested to everyone, I said, listen, let's just try an experiment. We're going to, for five minutes, be quiet before the Lord. Just do it this week. Set a timer. Don't worry about it. Just set it. When it's over, just, just be quiet before the Lord. Think about his word. You know, listen to him. Make your request on, but be quiet. One of our pastors came in the office that week. He says, this is driving me crazy. He says, I've never been quiet that long in my life. He says, it's just hard to be quiet. And I said, well, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm trying not to think. Well, being quiet doesn't mean that you don't think. And that's what false religions teach us to do. Empty your mind empty your mind. Let's just everybody take a deep breath and empty our minds. We don't want to do that. We want to renew our minds by thinking upon the good things of the Lord. We want to be transformed by thinking. So we, we get quiet, we listen to God's Word, and we wait upon Him. And now being quiet means Becky is not in the room. Being quiet means shut up. I can't say that at home. I can say that here. <laughs> when she's not in the room. It means shut up. Because we're so used to coming. Dear Jesus, I need you to do this today. Would you bless this person today? And God, this is so terrible. Lord, you really need to work right there. And God, you know pastor needs to preach shorter messages. So would you just convict him of his sin right now? And you tell God everything you think. You tell God everything on your mind. And then you go, in Jesus' name, amen. And you're gone. I prayed today. You didn't pray. You just talked to Jesus. Communion is when you allow God to talk to you as well. And so you get quiet before the Lord. I am hopeless when I do all the talking. I am hopeless when I do all the thinking. I am hopeless when I do all the planning. But when I can wait upon the Lord and hear what God's Word has to say to me or get those gentle nudges from the Holy Spirit inside of me, then like Jeremiah, hope begins to arise and God reminds me that He loves me. Look at Psalm 62 and verse 1. I wait quietly before God for my victory comes from Him. Can we give Him another hand of praise about it this morning? My victory comes from Him. You know, one of my favorite movies is Braveheart. And you remember when William Wallace is saying in that great body, he says, now wait, hold, hold. Everybody's just ready to go. They're ready to go. We've got a famous song in America about the war, and they said, when in the war in the South, where we were supposed to wait till you see the white of their eyes, and the enemy's coming, and everybody's being told, wait, Wait, don't fire, wait, wait. We don't like to wait in America. We're not known for waiting. We want to go ahead and unload everything we've got. Sometimes the victory comes when you wait, you wait, and you wait, and it looks like the enemy is going to come in like a flood, and then the Holy Spirit rises up inside of you. The angel of the Lord comes alongside of you, and the Word of God becomes a two-edged sword in your mouth, and you slay your enemies in Jesus' name. That's how victory comes because you wait quietly until the captain of the host says, now it's time to march. And a lot more good, I think, would happen if we learned to wait rather than move too quickly. And then finally this morning, prayerfully, prayerfully seek the Lord and examine 
and change what you can. Change where change needs to happen. There's some things you're never going to be able to change. Although God healed me, there are some things in my life I'm never going to be able to change. They're just not. I'm never going to be able to change some of the things, the pain that I deal with on a daily basis, but I've chosen not to give in to those. Many, many years ago, I was offered the opportunity to, to go on to government assistance and to live and to be taken care of. What a life I would have missed if I'd have done that. What a life. Sometimes when I see people pulling into the handicapped parking lots, parking spaces, I'll just simply, Lord, thank you. Thank you for sparing me and thanking me. Thank you for showing me there's a better way. Many, many years ago, I can remember when some of people that I know today could have given in to despair. Their wife had left them. Maybe their ministry seemed to be over, but they chose to be faithful to God. But they can't change the hurt. They can't change the past. You can't change your natural gifts. You can't change your natural talents. Try as hard as I want, I will never be able to play the piano. Try as hard as I want, I will never be a race car mechanic. Try, I'll never be a Volkswagen mechanic. <laughs> Try as hard as I want. There are some things I won't be able to change. But where God touches me, there I can change. We have grieved and prayed about our grandson. I look at little Josiah, got to hold him just right. And every time Dana sends a picture, my heart just melts. But when I look at Josiah, Josiah is a gift of God to our family. Isn't that right? He is a gift of God to our family. He is God's gift to us. He trusted us. He trusted Andrew and Dana with Josiah. I was recently just writing and pondering and thinking, asking God how to pray. Because when they said that he may be the only child in the world with this particular combination of genetic disorders, DNA disorder, I said, God, how do I pray? Nothing is impossible with you. But all of a sudden, it's just that phrase, Josiah is God's gift to your family. And when you can accept that God loves you and God only intends good for you, you will experience the peace of God that passes all understanding. And when you have peace, you can face the world falling apart because you are not going to fall apart. Now, I have to close this, honey, if you come on up. I have to close this and deal with two things. One, sometimes our world falls apart because we have made foolish decisions. Maybe we've sinned. Sometimes our world falls apart through no fault of our own. We're just like my friends, the missionaries in the Congo, and we're left to deal with a son with such brain damage and emotional damage 
that his father went to his grave in great grief but great joy at the same time. I remember his dad one time saying to me, I could have chosen to become cynical. I could have chosen to become bitter. He said, but I chose to accept that in all things, God is good. And that for whatever the reason, God means good for this. Dennis, I would give my life for Brian. There's nothing I wouldn't do for Brian. But Brian is my son and I love him. That particular day, I had had to pull Brian off of his father because Brian had attacked him. And now he was getting older and weaker as a missionary physically. The humility, but yet the greatness of this missionary who touched nations for Jesus discipled pastors who mentored missionaries through he and his wife's ministry shook three nations he never gave up on God because he knew God could be trusted and if you're going through a difficult time because you've made some poor decisions or because you're harboring some secret sin in your life. Don't let your world fall apart because God has to deal with you in judgment. Friend, don't mock yourself. Don't, don't think you can mock God, so don't mock yourself. Don't, you're smart people. I pastor an intelligent church. You, many of you in here have greater degrees and you're much more educated than I am intelligent people so don't mock yourself but deal and confront your sin and say Lord I'm sorry repent of it turn from it and find mercy while there's still mercy to be found before God has to judge you in his mercy so that you don't end up losing your soul in an eternal hell say what will happen how David prayed for his nation. Now restore us again, O God of our salvation. Put aside your anger against us once more. Will you be angry with us always? Will you prolong your wrath to all generations? Won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? I mean, that's what happens. You get weak. You feel the effects of your sin, the things that you're hiding, you're covering. You're dealing with the anger of God because sin hurts people. Look at me. Sin hurts people. If I sin against God, I hurt Becky, I hurt her children, I hurt you, I hurt her family. And that might not be something that you want to hear. My Father, we've got to hear that. 
This world was not created for sin. Its problems that it has came because people chose to say, God, I can rebel against you and everything's going to be okay. It just doesn't work that way. This is my Father's world. Look at me. This is my Father's world. Look at me. This is my Father's world. And if you choose the grace and the mercy of God now, you will know the joy and the glory of God for eternity. But if you reject, reject the mercy and grace of God now, you end up bringing yourself to a place of destruction. And if you fail to repent and turn to God, you will enjoy the consequences of eternal separation from God in hell forever. Because this is my Father's world. And there ain't no devil and there ain't no nation and no dictator or no one else going to claim this world. It belongs all the kingdom, all the power, all the glory to our Father in heaven. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? It belongs to him. So he goes on and says, show us your unfailing love. Grant us your salvation. That's forgiveness of our sins. That's health. That's peace. That's abundance. That's wholeness again. I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying. For he speaks peace to his faithful people. But let them not return to their foolish ways. For surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. So our land will be filled with his glory. I'm going to pray for you. Pastor Corey read you a powerful passage this morning. And in that passage, the Lord says, if you'll do this, when you throw away your idols, whatever that idol may be, an idol of sin, an idol of lust, an idol of jealousy, unforgiveness, bitterness, whatever it is you're holding on because you feel justified in holding on, when you throw it away and you feel the peace of God and the grace of God that descends in your life, you're going to say, good riddance. Good. And I listened as you began to clap after you read that scripture. And I thought, hmm, there's some folks in here going to discover. Sometimes it's just good to get rid of stuff. Amen? So bow your heads with me. And would you real quickly just do a moral inventory, a spiritual inventory of your life? The Holy Spirit, would you search us? Test our hearts and our lives. And God, if there's any wicked or evil way in us that's endangering your name, the glory of your name to our neighbors, it's endangering our families, our spiritual lives, bring it to our attention right now. I need to confess to the Lord. I need to repent of them and change my ways this morning. Would you hold up your hand? Sure. All across the body. Sure. Go ahead. That's that's honesty. That's transparency. All across the building. Yeah. Yeah. Now get ready for a miracle. You can put
put your hands down now? Now, would you just simply, would you right now, just in your heart, you don't have to pray them out loud, but just pray right now. Say, Lord, I give it to you. Forgive me. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Lord. Forgive me. strength to say no to these things. Give me strength to say yes to what is of the Holy Spirit. Pure and kind and thoughtful and loving. I want to be a godly person. Now you just keep praying because I want to talk to some of you. Maybe you're going through a really tough time right now. Maybe I'm not even aware of it, but there's some, some things in your life. It may be illness. It may be your finances. It may be your home. But things just seem to be falling apart right now. You don't know how to handle the situation. And you say, Pastor, my world is falling apart. Would you lift up your hand this morning? I want to pray for you. Praise God. Again, every section. You can put them down. Now, keep your heads bowed. Now, there's some of you, you haven't put your hand up, and I know better. I'm your pastor. I'm calling you out. I love you. I know better. You need to lift your hand, not to me, but lift your hand to God this morning. Say, Pastor, pray with me. My world's falling. Yeah, that's what I thought. God bless you. You can put it down. you look to him right now because I want to pray for you oh father remind us this morning that when we go through the waters when we go through the fire Lord you will be with us we will not drown we will not be burned up you have made us the head and not the tail you will make us more overcomers in Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, you've reminded us through the word this morning. You love us. Oh God, you love us this morning. And though we can't see as far ahead as you can, we are not as smart as you are, Lord. We are not as wise as you are. We know that you will pull us through this time. There will come a time, Lord, we will swing across hell and we will say, come on, victory, because we know that if God be for us, no one can be against us. Remind us that you love us, Lord. And I ask you, as we begin this 40-day fast, Lord, you help us each day just to take five minutes after we pray and after we read your word just to be quiet in your presence for victory comes from the Lord hallelujah 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 Christians will you pray right now for your brothers and sisters will you intercede for them right now nobody should have to walk through this valley alone. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.
Christians, we're not afraid of the tough questions. As passionate followers of Christ, we're not afraid. We're not going to shirk them. We may not always have an answer. But we have a faith in God that cannot be shaken. And you see, it's our faith in God that when our world is fought. Now listen to me. This is important. You're not here by an accident. You're here in the timing of God. So listen. When the world around us falls apart, we're still standing on the solid rock of our faith. And the powers of hell have never been able to destroy the work of God. And if you are in Christ, you are indestructible. This life on earth may end, but you will live forever with Jesus Christ in eternity. If you're ready to commit your life to Him this morning, I just want you to pray this prayer to Him. You know you're ready when you want, you, you want to do that. You pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for taking everything. Your world fell apart. You even felt as though God had abandoned you. upon your very body, Lord, what my sins deserve. And you hung on that tree naked for me, only to rise up again on the third day so that I could be saved. I confess my sins to you, and I ask you, come into my heart and life. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Friends, angels are watching you right now. If you pray that way, no one's looking around. Please just be respectful right now. But if you pray that, would you lift up your hand and say, I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ right now. Lift it up. One, two, hold it up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Hold it up high. I, I want to know this morning. Nine, ten people committing their lives to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. praise the Lord. Amen. I want you to know right now, I think that is so cool. There are angels rejoicing. And the reason this church is clapping is we're rejoicing. We're rejoicing with you. But I love you. We've got some stuff to help you if you've committed your life to Christ. If you're one of those that lifted your hand this morning, we want to walk with you through this difficult time. So if you'll let us know, we'll walk through this time with you. John, would you go on back to your table? I want you to be sure to meet our missionary, John Baker. Before you leave this morning, we've got a short video about Easter we want you to watch. And then please come through that back door and greet me today. I want to greet you and meet you on your way out of church today. I love you. And isn't God good? Amen. Amen and amen.